We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 146. I don't know if you can tell in my voice, it's tired. And it's tired from screaming my ass off at the Bronx Pinstripes event on Saturday. Scott, what an awesome time that was. You know, it really was. First, I'm so happy that it actually happened and and, is, uh, and we're moving forward now. And uh, you know what the good thing is about this is that we can plan for future events, which I'm pumped up. We'll definitely go more into that uh, later. But I don't know. Having it in your rear view is, it, for me, is awesome because with all the planning that went into it, like the fact that it actually happened was successful. People had a good time and the Yankees cooperated 100% on the field just made it an, an amazing day all around. So, yeah, I, I'm exhausted myself. It's been a long ass weekend. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just glad. I'm glad everybody had a good time. Well, I'm going to I'm going to make you feel a little uncomfortable because a lot of people came up to 
my, me at the event thanking me. And it was awesome. But Scott is the one who did 99% of this work. He's the one who was talking to the Yankees guys. He was the one who was talking to the brewery. He's the one who talked to Billy's. He's the one that sent everybody the tickets, which I know the process. He told me about it. That sounded awful. Something I am not looking forward to having to do in the future. So, Scott, thank you because that was freaking awesome. Yeah. Hey, man, it was my pleasure. It really was. It was um, something that was a long time coming. I'm glad I'm glad that we could do it. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, we promoted on this podcast, we promoted on the website. So, uh, you know, you guys have such a huge part in it. That's that's the, the big thing is that if I was doing this by myself, I wouldn't be able to talk to anybody about it. So um, the fact that everybody listens to the show, which was evident at the at the uh, event, people coming up to us saying that they listen to the show, saying that they, you know, it gets them through traffic on the mornings or their lunch break or whatever. Like that stuff is so awesome to hear because it's it's very difficult. I don't know if you know this, but I told pretty much everybody who came up to us that day. But you know, Andrew and I talk to each other through a microphone, looking at a computer, edit, and then throw it into the interwebs into space. And we, it's hard to tell. You know, like obviously we interact on Twitter, but when you see people in real life that listen to what you're doing, it's just, uh, it makes it all worth it. It just really, it, it, it puts all the work uh, and makes it worth it. It's a little trippy, isn't it? It is a little trippy. No doubt about it. There's no doubt. My, my girlfriend was giving me shit at people coming up to me asking for pictures. She's like, you're like a celebrity, <laughs> but she doesn't really believe I'm a celebrity because she listens to this podcast and she likes to just, I think, listen to the sound of my voice. I don't think she really gives a crap about what's that, what I'm actually saying. No, she's telling you how many ums you did. Like, exactly. I, I, I hear the sarcastic tone in your voice when you're talking about this. The people that know us the best can like completely pick apart everything we say, probably. Uh, yeah. that's, that's why it's nice to talk to people that we don't know as well. So, <laughs> Although <laughs> people was... have been listening for a couple of years now know us pretty well, I think. That's, what, that's why the people were coming up and saying, I feel like I know you. That was, yeah. I mean, it, it honestly, it no jo- all joking aside... It, it's great. It's great to hear that. It makes me feel good. And, I, and I'm so happy that all the people came out. I mean, that's why we did it, to hang out with everyone who listens to the show and everybody who reads the blog and everybody who follows us on Twitter and new Yankee fans who uh, maybe they don't listen to the podcast, but maybe now they will. So that kind of stuff is just awesome. And I think some, one of the best parts for me, one of my favorite parts about the entire event was hearing the individual stories of people coming up and just saying like, like, uh, I, I can't remember their names. I'm sorry. Names are just like completely lost on that day. But um, we were talking about his dad and him having seen a game since 09 together. And he mm-hmm. came down, his dad came down from Mass and watched the game together. Like, that type of stuff, man, like, just gives me goosebumps. And I'm like, this is exactly why we do this. We want a lot of just awesome people who love the Yankees to come together and watch a game together and just be passionate fans. And you can see as we were on the Jumbotron, like, I don't know, four or five times, it was evident. The Yankees knew we were there. They sent the camera guys over to us multiple times. Um, and, and you can just see the passion and everybody had a great time. It looked like everybody was just going live. I've seen on Twitter a few times, like best energy at a Yankees game that I've participated in. I've seen that a number of times. I've gotten some emails about that same thing. So look, if you missed this one, we're going to do another one at, at some point in this season. We're working on the dates to figure out when we're going to do it. Next year is going to be ridiculous. We're going to have a full schedule of events and games. <laughs> so we're building on this. Like we learned so much. I can't even tell you how much we've learned. <laughs> From just we were going already talking this. the night of what we were learning. Yeah, because you cannot predict everything. As, as oh. John and Susan say, you can't predict baseball. Well, you cannot predict events, especially when you prepare from the beginning for 150 people, and then you get 300-plus people. It throws uh, different elements into it. And we know everything that happened that night, we, we, the good, the bad, the indifferent, and we will you know take we will audit the whole thing, make sure we make the improvements where we need to. But 
I'll tell you, moving forward, it's going to be stronger and stronger and stronger because I know the people are going to tell other people. And that's what makes it go is the people in the community. So I'm just it just got me so excited. It was you, you sort of started to mention some of the people that we met um, and uh, when we had people from Australia, we had people from London and France. I mean, that's a long ass flight to come over for an event. And it's awesome. I was actually talking to the, uh, the guy from Australia. I, I believe his name is James. And I'm really sorry, James or person from Australia, if I'm messing your name up. I met a lot of people on Saturday night, but he was uh, we were talking later in the game and he said the last time he had been to a Yankees game was he flew in for games two and three of the 09 World Series for a weekend and then flew home. That's pretty, that's ridiculous. That's awesome. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. That's, that's some freaking ridiculous fandom right there. That's, that's some like dedication. Him, I remember watching game three, it was Halloween night or it was Halloween weekend because we had a party at my frat house and then two of my <laughs> other buddies who were at the event Saturday night, we were the only three people upstairs in the frat house watching the baseball game. We were in our stupid ass Halloween costumes one of my buddies was dressed up like a penguin, and we were going ape shit over Andy Pettit getting an RBI single in that game. So it's just those kind of memories that that, that uh, bring back, and that's why that's why stuff like this is is really really fun. Yeah, no doubt. And you know, for to to kind of wrap this up, there there are just eight million people to to thank because there were a lot of of hands that went into this event as well. Um, so just just bear with me for like 30 seconds and let me run through some some people because I, I really do feel like I want to call everybody out and um, hopefully I don't miss anybody. But uh, first, the thank you to Nick and the Bronx Brewery. They were such a huge help. Um, I mean, the amount of beer that was that was poured on Saturday was ridiculous. I mean, for 300 people, it was ridiculous. We underestimated, uh, but then we just kept going and reloading and reloading and reloading, and it was uh, it was a lot. So I really do appreciate Nick and the Bronx Brewery. They've been great partners, and I know we'll be going forward with them. Um, uh, to, to even create a, a stronger partnership. Uh, photographers and videographers who were there uh, capturing the entire event. I wanted to make sure the whole thing was captured so that we can have something looking back um, and they'll be ready soon. Photographer uh, Rex Free, who is uh, on Instagram, follows us, a passionate Yankee fan, runs the Koi uh, Bryant Park in Midtown, modern Japanese restaurant. So go by there and, uh, and check that out. Say hi to Rex. He's also a photographer. He does an awesome job. I can't wait to see all these photos. And then Cess, uh, his website is nycl1.com. Did all the video. He had two guys there doing some video. I cannot wait to see those video. He had some ridiculous cameras that we practically had to, I had to like barter to get into Yankee Stadium because they're definitely not allowed. But um, those guys are awesome. I can't wait to see all the footage. I know everybody's excited. Um, some of the some behind the scenes stuff, Bronx Pinstripes people who are right for the site, or some of our wives and girlfriends who are helping us pass out these 300 T-shirts. My wife Bevan, your girlfriend Leanne. Um, Justin's wife, Allison, thank you so much for helping us do that. All the writers and contributors from Bronx Pinstripes who helped us on the day of and who they're uh, obviously covering the event, covering all the other things. Rich, RJ, Tom, Justin, Joe, Roey, Adam, Jared, who got into a freaking accident on 95 and couldn't even make it. Sorry, Jared. You'll be there next time. Keith for doing all the Instagram stories. Like He's phenomenal on Instagram. If you're not following him, check him out. He does a lot of our Instagram stories and he captured the day really well. And then last but not least, everybody who made it, honestly, like that was the biggest thing. Everybody who came from far and near, we probably had over 200 locals in the New York tri-state area that came. It was just, the energy was awesome. You mentioned the, the London, France crew. We had a, a couple guys from Australia, Rudy and his son from Texas, a, a slew of people from North Carolina that I got to talk to. You guys are all the ones that make the, this event uh, work. You make it awesome. And I really am, uh, I'm hoping you come back. 
and tell your friends so we can build this community stronger and stronger and stronger. So thank you to everybody. Really, it's it's humbling seeing all those people there uh, and I, knowing that we all love the New York Yankees and that's why we're there. It's just so cool. So I appreciate you well, hearing me out. Well said. And for last thing I'll say about it, if people did not make it to the event and haven't seen any of the pictures, go check out hashtag BP crew on Twitter. You'll see how rowdy we were. Bunch of videos up there. Bunch of uh, fat heads of Aaron Judge and Susan Waldman and John Sterling. So it was an awesome time. Go check that out. And we'll be continuing that hashtag BP crew as we move forward with more events. So what a weekend it was, not just the event, but also the onslaught of the Yankees offense. And they wrapped up a a tough stretch of schedule you and i talked numerous times about how this was such an important stretch against the al east um the team had kind of been hovering around 500 for the month of may but uh they finished strong five and one on the homestand they have the best record in the al 22 and nine at home when they're home there's something about it they just mash the ball isn't it (laughs) it's so great that that's the case because all weekend i was at the game on friday and then obviously saturday the place was packed. The place was rocking. It was loud. I mean, you're getting that feeling back of this young Yankees team that has all the hope and promise in the world, and the fans are believing. Everybody in that place is believing. Everybody's on their on their feet. You know, clapping with two strikes for for Severino on Saturday, uh, for Montgomery on Friday. Getting getting into the game like throughout the game. So the energy is there. And it's very obvious that this team is feeding off of that energy because the ball is leaving the park at a ridiculous rate when they're at home, especially against the horrible Baltimore pitching that finally, Can we finally, thank Can God, we finally say that uh, maybe this will be the year that Baltimore's pitching is not held together enough for them to make the playoffs because other than Dylan Bundy, they have nothing as far as pitching. It's so we've been waiting for this. Like for whatever reason, over the past few years, they've been able to string together some starters that got them to uh, the playoffs. I don't. I still don't get it. But this is the the, the pitching staff that I have seen for three years and get lit up. It just so happens that we have an runs offense. in three games. That's insane. I think Aaron Judge <laughs> was twelve or batting 500, 12 for twenty four or something like that. Five hundred uh, on the homestand. I mean, just terrorizing the Baltimore Orioles. It was embarrassing. It really was. You mentioned that the place was packed all three games. I believe uh, I caught the tail end uh, TV broadcast today on Sunday, and Michael Kay was saying that it was the largest three-game homestand they've had this season so far. Yeah, no, I heard the number. It was a uh, forty-six thousand and change for today, and it was a sellout. So I, I'm pretty sure all games were sold out. I think the Boston games were also sold out. So. It's a nice little look. The fact that they did what they did against taking that Boston series, taking two out of three, and then sweeping the Orioles consecutive like that's huge against your AL East opponents. We talked about how there was a potential to 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 create some space in the AL East with this series if they came in hot and did you know did what they need to do against Baltimore, and that's exactly what's happening right now. So it's a it's a good time for them to to get super hot because uh, the, the the fans were there and now they're going to come back. Absolutely. And it's just one of those weird things how the schedule works out where they played a bunch of AL East teams early in April and then didn't play them for like a month. And they played a bunch of National League games. Yeah. Remember all those National League games? So we we kind of just didn't see the AL East and Boston was hot coming in and they beat up on Tanaka. But interesting stat, other than the earned runs Tanaka gave up in that series, the Yankees didn't give up any more earned runs against Boston. Yeah, that's crazy. It's a different lineup. That's one thing I, I, I absolutely have noticed. It's a different feeling when you play Boston now than it, than it has been ever. I mean, obviously, we don't see Ortiz and we don't see uh, Manny. I mean, he's, it's been a while since we've seen Manny, but we don't see that big bat in that lineup. There's no big home run guy in the Boston lineup 
this this go around and and that's that's strange it's weird it feels weird yeah and it's i actually talked about that with chad jennings the loss of david ortiz so if you guys missed that interview i did with chad it was on thursday's episode go check that out um we sort of went through everything that the red sox have been going on this season uh tanaka though was pushed he was gonna start on sunday and he was pushed to monday so uh we kind of mentioned that on the last episode would they push him it turns out they would um, but they're, they're still not taking him out of the rotation, but maybe an extra day, get him away from Yankee stadium, yeah. put him uh, against an Anaheim lineup, missing Mike Trout, the best player in the world. So kind of a good spot for Tanaka, the best player in the world, not named Aaron judge. You mean, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's, I, I think it's a smart move. I mean, that was to me, the, that was the obvious move. I think last episode I kept saying Oakland, it was, we have Oakland after Anaheim, but going to Anaheim, whatever you're going on the West coast. And you're completely away from all the the New York, uh, you know, the electricity of New York, uh, New York City and the stadium and all that pressure. It's a good place for him to hopefully clear his brain. Stop thinking so much and just go out there and throw. I really, really hope he comes back because if he could turn it around, honestly, like as much as we give complete shit and we're like destroying Tanaka for being. Let's think about this. Let's think about Tanaka being good with the lineup the way it is right now, with the lineup getting better going into the summer with the summer months, usually when lineups really take off. Like this is, a, he, he, he truly is such a linchpin because he can lock down the top of that rotation. And if we're scoring runs like we are, I mean, this team is scary. D- despite what people may think, I, I do want Tanaka to pitch well. <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, you mentioned Aaron Judge's batting 500 or something like that on the homestand. But Gary Sanchez is also finally on fire. Yeah. Um, and his numbers against David Price are laughably funny. Video game stuff. Four at four home runs and seven at bats. Yeah, I love it. I'm glad he's like, and I'm glad he just started taking it off. Yeah. Oh yeah. And just killing the ball. He has been, the homestand was great to Gary Sanchez. I mean, the fact that this entire lineup is just protecting each other, because that's what's happening. Cause there's, there's nobody that's really, Terrible in the lineup right now. I mean, Chase Headley's not even playing every day, so I can't even put him in there. I feel like he's he's getting a day off like way more frequently now. So the uh, the lineup is looking good up and down. I don't know if you noticed this. Uh, I certainly did. Chase Headley was about the only one in the stadium who didn't have a hit on Saturday night until late in that game. But he did have one late in the game. He did. Uh, yeah. He squeaked one out in a sixteen to three ball game. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's almost you're saying he didn't have a hit until later in the game when until nobody later in the when game. nobody cared and the game was completely out of hand. Absolutely. Uh, David Price, a nightmare in the Bronx. The Yankees have been hitting him. And we said, oh, it's these are no longer the old Yankees, so it's a different team. Yeah. Apparently for the good stuff, it doesn't matter because no. <laughs> David Price has given up 19 earned runs in his last 19 and two-thirds innings pitched at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, he gets scared when he enters New York and sees the pinstripes. It doesn't matter who's wearing them, but... They, uh, I mean, this is a this is a very very good thing because the new the new Bronx Bombers know how to take care of David Price, and that's that's a positive. As far David Price had had two good starts since returning from the DL, yeah. but if he's not David Price of last year, I mean, the Red Sox pitching staff is really really bad, other than Chris Sale, because we also know that um, Rick Porcello is not Cy Young Rick Porcello. No, no, that's that's Fluke Porcello. That's his that's his first name. And then, well, who's the dude? I, I can't even think of his name right now. I'm so freaking tired. The, uh, the guy, No, he just went on the DL. Eddie Rodriguez. Yeah, that was the. I think that was the guy they got from the Orioles in the uh, Andrew Miller deal, right? So yep, that was the guy that they've been looking to, and he's on the DL. I mean, they're they're gonna have to make a move somewhere. It's funny that we're talking about this that they may have to make a move in their pitching staff, but honestly, that's what they're gonna be looking at come the trade deadline. 
Well, Dombrowski is again. I'm going back to that Chad Jennings interview. Yeah. Dombrowski built this team to win the World Series in the next couple years. So right. you can't wait around. He's got to go all in on this team. He traded away the number one prospect in baseball for Chris Sale. You can't then say, oh, we're no longer going to push all of our chips. We're going to take some of our chips out of the middle of the table. You can't do that at this point. No, and when you guys were talking in that interview too, there were some really good comparisons when you were talking about Dombrowski's uh, Tigers teams too and how top-heavy they are with, with oh, yeah. so little depth because if any of those guys got hurt, and we saw that happen quite frequently with the Tigers, if Verlander got hurt or, or Miggy went down, like that, that team didn't have the guys to rebound from a lot of those injuries. And you're seeing that now with Boston, and, and Chad Jennings was just reaffirming the fact that you know they're they're practically their minor leagues are they're in the majors now. They've traded away a lot of their good. I think they have one more guy that's a you know a big time prospect in the minors, but they've traded away a lot of it. So they are you're, what you see is what you get for that team. If those guys aren't performing, there's nobody else there to pick it up. So it's it's very interesting. It's it's really uh, it's rolling the dice. So Dombrowski tried this exact same thing with Detroit. Remember that season he traded for David Price and he had Verlander, Scherzer, and Price. That yeah. didn't work out. So which, is, he tried, which is crazy why that didn't work out. But They were the consecutive Cy Young winners at yeah. that point. I mean, it I, didn't work I, out. I think the big – you cannot overlook the fact that Dombrowski 100% did not expect this Yankee team to come on as fast. Like everybody else Nobody in the world. Did, though. Like everybody <laughs> else in the world. But that was the, that was the big thing, that the Yankees were probably a year, two years away. So this was our year, and potentially next year we could have it. But the fact that the Yankees are so hot right now and these guys are all just leaps and bounds beyond their years is screwing him. And I love it. <laughs> another, <laughs> another thing from that Thursday game, I was watching the ESPN broadcast and a rare insightful comment from an ESPN analyst. David Ross was talking about Gary Sanchez receiving the ball. And he said that he slightly picks up his glove when the ball is coming in. So anything that's low, he has to sort of jab down to catch it and that might cause some strikes to be called balls because it looks like he's reaching down. I actually thought that was that was an interesting comment, and I did notice it was happening. And he also had a pass ball on Pineda that shouldn't have been a pass ball. I mean, he clearly should have caught it. So as, as good as Gary Sanchez is, I mean, he still can get better. Well, no doubt. I mean, if you look at – I don't know the numbers on how many pass balls he's had or wild pitches against because some of those pass balls are wild pitches that – you know, it depends on how the scorers look at it. But he's had a lot of balls get by him this year. There's no doubt about it. I, I was talking about that on Twitter. It, it's very, I mean, that's the eye test for me. I'm watching his, when he's starting, it seems like there's a lot of balls getting by him and it's all low because he's not getting, it's like he's not dropping early enough. Um, and I guess that talks to what David Ross is saying because um, I'm, I'm seeing it too. I mean, it's, it's, it's evident. There's balls getting by him that shouldn't get by him. And there's balls that are bouncing uh, you know, left and right when he should be squaring up and, and they should be sitting in front of him after, you know, the ball hits the ground. So he's it's, not getting in position fast enough when those when the balls are down. It's definitely obvious. It's uh, it's the pass balls, but it's also the balls. It's framing. It's it, he yeah. might cause a, a strike to be a ball. Yeah. So, and yeah, that, that that's that could really uh, cause a pitcher to have a bad outing. I mean, if, if he if he should have gotten the call at the knees, but it, but it's below the zone, but it looks like it's below the zone. I mean, that can screw a pitcher. Yeah. Also, it could go into the fact that maybe Tanaka's not throwing that splitter as much because oh, he didn't have confidence on Gary Sanchez getting down on the ball. What happened last time out when Romine was catching? <laughs> and he gave up seven home runs. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I guess it's that personal catcher thing went out the window. Baltimore comes in. You were at the game on Friday night. 
And uh, Montgomery settled into that game nicely. He actually ended up with a career-high seven innings and eight strikeouts. And I sort of noticed something about Montgomery because last time out, do you remember that game on Memorial Day against Baltimore? He was deep in every count, falling behind. And then he had to go to his fastball, and it was getting hit like batting practice. I mean, I think his best stuff is his off-speed stuff, and his fastball is kind of average. So when he falls behind hitters, he gets hit. And I know that's sort of obvious, but – he moves away from his changeup and slider and curveball in the dirt, which gets a lot of swings and misses when he goes deep into counts and falls behind. So, like, it's so important for him to stay ahead of hitters because he did that on, uh, against Baltimore the second time. And look at the difference. Well, and does it, doesn't that feel just like a like the, the the absolute perfect growing pain for a young pitcher? I mean, that's I feel like the getting into the rhythm of of the the count when you got to throw certain pitches. Getting the you know knowing the batters because that's uh, that's also something that you know he's not familiar with any of these guys yet so you know when the first time you're seeing him uh, the, these batters you're gonna probably struggle more than the second and third time when you know them a little bit better so I think just as he gets more comfortable and knowing what he can throw to certain guys you're gonna start seeing the adjustments on his side and that's and that's when he can take that next level and that's what I thought we saw on on uh, on Friday night because you know I couldn't tell. Uh, I was sitting behind home plate and I couldn't tell, obviously the, uh, uh, a lot of time I couldn't tell like what pitch was what or the location. It was, it was just a little bit more difficult for me to, to, um, to tell when I'm at the game. Plus I have a very difficult time paying attention to the game more than I'm watching it on TV. I don't know why it's probably ADD, but the, um, he looked really good all game. Like to me, he looked like he was in control of the game. He looked like he was in control of his stuff. It was just a really, really impressive performance from what I saw, you know, live. He was matching Dylan Bundy. That was a close game going late into that ball game. The Yankees broke it open after Bundy left the game. So Montgomery was matching Baltimore's best pitcher. Yeah, definitely. And I think such such good news seeing him go deep, you know, having that high strikeout, like that's all good stuff because that was his that was his Achilles heel, or it still is, you know, just like you said, going deep into counts, falling behind, walking guys, getting himself into trouble. That's you know, he's got to clean that stuff up. And again, I just think that's a, a young guy. Kind of, uh, you know, making his way through the majors through these lineups the first couple times around and, and he'll get there. So I saw an interesting stat after Friday's game that Yankees opponents were 0 for their last 42 with runners in scoring position. So we get on the Yankees for risk fails, but right. damn, that is bad. Yeah, that's an impressive stat. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of that's a lot Who of opportunities. Who do you put – you know, how much blame do you put on the opponent in that and how much credit do you give to the Yankees pitchers for that? Well, I think you're giving more credit to the Yankees side because you're, you're seeing different opponents, right? So one of them is a, is a, is a standard. Like you're seeing the Yankees and, and their approach to certain things, yet you're seeing different guys on the other side of the uh, plate. So I think more credit's got to go to the Yankees. Obviously, there's a, 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 probably a bunch of luck involved with this too because that's a lot of opportunities. But it's a it's a it's enough of a number to see that you're doing something very very right in those opportunities. So, like you said, as, as we give we get on them for runners in scoring position failures, which you know this weekend we forgot about because the ball was leaving the park. But you Didn't see the, the you see the opposite side of it, and and that's good stuff. So you know one comes with the other, I guess. What I, what it really hit home for me is that every team, every fan of every team, is probably saying the same thing about their team and runners yeah. in scoring position. Oh no doubt. Because, like, because one out of three is a Hall of Famer. That's why. But I mean, but if you hit 300, 330 with runners in scoring position, you're probably going to win the World Series because that's ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. So there's more opportunities to complain than there are to, to you know praise the guys. 
Holiday was at first base on Friday night, and yeah. it kind of got me thinking that the Yankees, I mean, I don't know if they thought when Greg Bird went on the DL that he was going to be out a month. Don't you remember they kind of sold it as 10 days, sort of R&R, and he'll be back? But it turned out it was a month. So could they, should they have done something different at first base? Could we have seen Holiday at first base more? Maybe get Romine into first base a little bit more because Romine started slumping when he stopped playing every day. So maybe that was an opportunity to get him some more at-bats. Yeah, but I don't think Romine's the type of – he's not like the, the, the hot bat that you need in there to, to stay hot. I don't know. I think he's still there for his defensive prowess. The fact that he got hot early in the season was just kind of a benefit, I think. I, I don't think they're there to make sure that his bat stays hot or put him in, a, in the lineup so that his bat can get more consistent. I, I just don't th- see that as a high objective. Uh, I think the most important thing with Matt Holiday, because we're seeing what he's doing. First of all, he is – a giant, a giant, giant contribution to this team. The fact that he got put on this team by Cashman in the offseason, to me, is just looking more and more like a brilliant move. Because of, one, on the field, he's mashing the ball. Two, he's become a valuable contributor in the field because he can play first base occasionally. And he could, do, he could hold his own over there. I mean, there's occasionally uh, a couple times where he looked a, a little bit lost. But the, the, also the, the tutelage, I feel like that is such an important role. He, he just feels like, it feels like he fits so well with the rest of these guys. And in that in that in that dugout and in, um, in that clubhouse, that he's such a, a powerful contribution to this team, both on and off the field. So I think that we really have to give Brian Cashman a lot of credit for that. Yeah, I'm expecting after this season, like a ten thousand word column by somebody about how Matt Holiday really turned Aaron Judge's career around. Yeah, well, and maybe it's the <laughs> truth. Who knows? You know what I mean? Like Aaron Judge gave a lot of credit to to looking at Matt uh, Matt Holiday and kind of mirroring what he did and. The, seeing his approach, he's a big body guy, and there there was a lot of uh, a lot of that going back and forth, and how he was just kind of you know emulating a lot of things that he did. So there, there, I'm sure that's a lot of it there, and I I guarantee Aaron Judge would be the first one to say it too. We're we're I can I can almost smell the the first baseman uh, situation returning to normal, where Greg Bird's making rehab assignment in AAA, Tyler Austin's rehabbing in AAA. So I don't think it's much longer that we're going to have to put up with Chris Carter. Well, Chris Carter hasn't been that bad lately, to tell you the truth. He's been a hell of a lot better. I mean, yesterday and today, uh, Saturday and Sunday, he had pretty good games. I think he had two hits on Sunday today and walked a couple times. He was on base a lot. Dude played right field, <laughs> proving his val- valuable contributions in the field and how flexible he is. I had yeah. no idea that Chris Carter uh, even knew where right field was. <laughs> just They told him to go out to first base, just play a deep first base. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. But he probably did. Just kept going. And so I was like, oh, I got first. It's one of those things that was late in it. That's what the, the only time you see Chris Carter in the outfield is in a 16 to three ball game. Yeah, it's like the slow pitch softball games where you run out of the dugout and you just yell your position and run out there. And then whoever gets it, gets it. That's what <laughs> it felt like it was. Clint Frazier in the minors on Friday had his first two homer game of the season. And Ellsbury's situation has been, um, I don't know, for lack of it, like it's just it's ongoing, right? They, he was close to returning and then he had concussion symptoms return he had a headache this was back a week ago and now he's sort of shut down again so he's making slow progress if Ellsbury's out for an extended period of time do you think the Yankees think about Frazier as the fourth outfielder because right now they don't have a fourth outfielder they have ref Snyder who can play the outfield but yeah I still think that it's not going to be Clint Frazier at this point I still think that there are guys ahead of Frazier for that fourth outfielder spot because I still believe that 
when they call Frazier up, they want him to stay. They don't want him to be a guy who just comes up and down. He's not that type of not that type of player. He's definitely not that type of prospect in the minor leagues. I think that he's in the same position that Glaber Torres is. Glaber Torres is going to come up when Chase Headley goes away finally. And is and when Glaber Torres comes up, he's going to be the full-time third baseman. That's going to be the spot. He's not going to come up to platoon. He's not going to come up to play every once in a while and be a bench guy. He's going to come up when he's got that spot because they want him to play every day and then come and capture that role. And I think the same thing is with Clint Frazier. I don't think they're going to want to do that. I think they want to give him all the at-bats they can at AAA, and then when it's his time, he'll come up. Or it'll be a September call-up type thing at this point because the outfield is ridiculous right now. That's the logical way to think about it. But Brian Cashman was also in the booth with ESPN on Thursday, and I listened to his interview, and he said the player is going to dictate when he gets called up because they asked him about Gliber Torres. And he basically said, if Gliber Torres keeps forcing my hand, I'm going to have to call him up. I'm never going to deny somebody to advance a level if they're earning it. So if he or Clint Frazier is earning that level, according to Brian Cashman, he's going to call him up regardless of the situation at the major league level. We have to either get rid of uh, uh, an outfielder or get rid of uh, Chase Headley in in the case that you just laid out. Yeah, well, I think that that is the caveat. I mean, I think there is a caveat still with that, that there has to be they'll earn that spot, but there has to be a spot for them to be that makes sense as well. They're not going to just bring them up to sit on the bench. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So there has to be that spot. And with Glaber Torres, there's a very obvious place for him to play. Where whereas Clint Frazier doesn't have that spot because the entire starting lineup in the outfield is just, is lighting up the ball. So there's nowhere for him to go. Right. They have they have the excuse this year of we're contending. Right. Right. They. I mean, if they were 500 around August, then they could just say like last year. Screw it. Let's call up the young guys and see what we got. Well, but and, if they're in yeah. first place, they can't just they can't just do that. I mean, because what if it doesn't work out? Exactly. And you don't want to risk, you know, stunting the growth of a player who can play every day against AAA uh, pitchers, then sitting the bench and just traveling with a Yankees team that's already doing well. And then them getting discouraged or out of their routines because you got to these guys who play every day are in their own routines as well. So they have a lot of of things that they want to do on a daily basis and to take them to take a, a Clint Frazier who for his entire life has played every day. He's always been a starter and, and throw him into a fourth outfielder role in the major league level. I don't know. To me, that just doesn't sound like a, a positive move forward. And when you're looking at the outfielders in, in triple a, like if there's a guy that they need to come up, like Mason Williams has been in that position before I could see them bringing him up before Clint Frazier. Dustin Fowler feels like a guy that they would bring up before that, because honestly, Dustin Fowler feels like a guy that, um, or they may even keep him there just because I feel like he's a trade bait guy. But um, I, I don't know. Mason Williams is, is the, the glaring guy for that. Or Dustin Fowler seems to be the next one. I just don't think they're going to bring up Frazier until there is a real spot. When Ellsbury does finally return, Joe Girardi was asked about this. And he said, I'm, I can't sit Aaron Hicks at this point. So I'm going to have to find playing time for all of them. To me, that sounds like Ellsbury and Gardner are going to be more of the platoon versus Ellsbury and Hicks are going to be the platoon. Yeah, well, I, I think that's that's probably right, just because of the way he handles left-handed pitching, right? I mean, he, he usually it's either uh, it's either Gardner or Ellsbury against left-handers, so one of them are going to sit, and if he's not still sitting Hicks against a, a left-hander, that which is you know the obvious, he's not going to sit him against a left-hander. Um, that that's just naturally going to happen. But I think Ellsbury is really going to suffer on this when he comes back. But we don't know when he's going to come back because these head things linger and they can linger for a long time they're unpredictable so that's the thing it's even if he is passing his tests he might be 
not fully there. Right. And how do you – I don't know how you even really evaluate that. How do you even really address that? That's right? one because of Because a player things... might just feel off and then he just is off for the whole season. I mean this could – I don't want to minimize it. But this, I don't want to uh, overreact. But this could derail his season. Well, there's no doubt. I mean I think at this point too, especially when you're talking about head injuries, you do all the tests. You do all the things that you – can control and see, you know, the reactions of the eyes and like all these different things, but you really got to listen to the player because they have to be true to their own body and tell you what's going on. Um, I don't think with that type of injury that you could go out there and play through that. That's just not something you could play through because there's no way you could perform at a high level if you're, if you're, you know, if your head's not right. So, you know, they got to listen to Ellsbury and see how he feels. And he's now behind a guy who people are saying should be considered for the all-star team in Aaron Hicks. Yeah, he so should be. He absolutely should be. Look at his numbers. He, he got Wally Pipped in center field, basically. Yeah, he did. <laughs> With a, but he's got a lot of money coming to him. Right. He's going to be a very expensive fourth outfielder. The most expensive fourth outfielder in baseball. Yeah, Wally Pipp Wally Pip wants that money. He wants a piece. Hicks, ain't, Hicks is not on the all-star ballot, so he'll have to be a... Uh, coach's pick. He might be because he's having a great season. I think he's third for outfielders OBP, which is also crazy. I think I heard Susan today on the broadcast say he already has more walks this season than he did all of last year. He's got everything more than what he did last year. I feel I think everything, <laughs> all his numbers have already uh, gone past what he did in all of 2016. So the guy's are we, on fire. Are you buying it? Is, is this the, the Hicks? Are we finally seeing the Aaron Hicks yeah. you know, that that uh, was drafted in the first round by Minnesota. I mean, is this the real Aaron Hicks, or is it some sort of combination of the bad Aaron Hicks and the good Aaron Hicks? This is the highly confident Aaron Hicks that that rolls. I, I mean, I don't know what happens when he goes into a slump uh, because we haven't really seen too much of that this year. But when the guy's playing every day with a lot of confidence, this is what he looks like. And he looks like a damn good baseball player, a damn good athlete. And, uh, I, I mean, maybe it's not as this high, but it's not far off. I think that everything I've seen this year looks like he's for real. It's pretty crazy. I really like him in the two spot, too, because he's a switch hitter. And also, I mean, his on-base percentage is over 400. Aaron Judge's on-base percentage is like 450 at this point. So you get so many guys on for the, that meat of the order. There's no doubt. And he's he's surpassed going back to, like, if he's real or not, too, the – you know, Chase Headley, we had the real or not real discussion after that first month, and we were pretty much talking about Aaron Hicks. Well, Aaron Hicks is, has definitely gone past the the parameter that we had with uh, with with Headley because Headley has fallen off the face of the planet. So we now tr- know the true answer to that. But Aaron Hicks has stayed up there. He's he's consistently stayed up there, and we're in June, so it's not like this has been one month. This has been three months. So it's or almost three months, two and a half months. Good stuff. That brings us to Saturday's drubbing, 16-3. to Thank God the Yankees got off to that electric start in the first inning, right? Could you have imagined if we're all in the stadium, all pumped up from the pregame party, ready to go, and it's the opposite, and Baltimore puts up a six spot in the first inning? I was just thinking that it really worked out for us and really worked out for that kind of event to have the Yankees just clubbing the ball around the stadium. When Aaron Judge steps up and hits the hardest ball that has been ever recorded and hit all year long at 121 mile per hour exit velo, you you're just you're you're so thankful that the Yankees cooperated and and gave us all these things. But yeah, it was the absolute perfect start. It was unbelievable. The game was over in the third inning, second inning. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was so much fun just having everybody go wild and yeah, Judge got the scoring started with that laser down the left field line. 
I couldn't see the ball. I don't know about you. I saw I saw it leave. I mean, when it goes 121 miles an hour, that probably has something to do with the fact that you couldn't see the ball because it was going so fast. Um, but right. yeah, it was a laser beam. It was unbelievable. Yeah, I cannot imagine that guy who got in the way of that ball out in left field. Someone caught it. I saw the replay of it again, and someone had it pretty quick. I don't know if they caught it in the air or they cut it off a rebound or what, or if it hit off someone's head, but someone had the ball relatively fast while the camera was still out there. Yeah, and Didi hit the three-run bomb. Holiday hit a three-run bomb. Castro hit a two-run shot. I mean, it was just so much fun. And then all of a sudden, I look over in the fourth inning, and I realize Severino hasn't given up a base runner at that point. Yeah. And I, a part of me was like, oh, what if that happens as well? But as we know, we can't start monitoring perfect games or no hitters until at least the fifth inning. Yeah, exactly. And it was unfortunate. I went up to get a beer, actually, and I came back, and there was a hit on the board. So I think maybe I, maybe it was my fault. Maybe I got up and to get a beer, and that's why he gave up a hit. But, it would be an impossible. I can't imagine a pitcher would be able to pitch a no-hitter or a perfect game when he's in the dugout for a half hour for the first three or four innings of the game. No, he probably wouldn't have gone the whole game anyway, right? They would have, right. They would have pulled him. Right, exactly. Um, I mean, I really, I mean, it was so much fun. I don't know what else to take away from, from that Saturday game other than it was a lot of fun. Do you got any takeaways? <laughs> no, the ball was leaving the park like every five minutes, it seemed like. It seemed like I turned around and there was another home run being hit. <laughs> and we were back on the Jumbotron, and it was just awesome. It was, you know, high-fiving like 30 people that you've never met before. It was, it's just fun, and I can't wait for the next one. So, yeah, it was awesome. There's nothing else to say about it. It was awesome, and it was a All I know is I- slaughtering. I woke up on Sunday morning with a headache, not from drinking too much, but from screaming my ass off too much. So it was that kind of game. Yep. Sunday, they picked up right where they left off. Five runs in the first inning. Sanchez, uh, three-run bomb. That made him the sixth Yankee to have double-digit home runs. That's crazy. Six out of the nine guys. June. Right. And he was out for whatever it was, four weeks. Yeah. And I, I feel like Didi's going to get there sooner rather than later. I mean, Didi's hitting over 325 at this point, but he hit 20 home runs last year. So it's going to be up and down the lineup with double-digit home runs. There's going to be a lot of 20 home run guys on this team. And it's it, I don't know what the record is for most 20 home run guys on a season on, a, on, a, on one roster, but I bet they're going to come close to it because there's a lot of guys that, that are sending the ball out of the park, and uh, it's, it's fun to watch. And... I, I can't talk about this more, but the protection. Like, these guys are all protecting themselves because nobody wants to pitch to the next guy. So these pitchers have to be so finely tuned and, and throw the ball where they want because if they're walking guys, everybody in the lineup can hit it out. So they're not putting anybody on, which which to me puts more pressure on the pitcher to throw a good pitch, which which in turn makes them screw up because they're trying so hard to throw a good pitch and leave ball over, balls over the plate. And they're just not letting that go. The Yankees are crushing mistakes right now. It's amazing. Uh, Sanchez, again, overshadowed by Aaron Judge, 495-foot moon blast over the left field bleachers. Michael Kay and Paul O'Neill were, were just oozing over it. They, they were speechless. Everyone was speechless. It, it, every time you think, like, oh, I've seen everything from Aaron Judge, he goes and hits one over the bleachers to the retired numbers out there on the wall. And like we jokingly talked about it earlier, he's going to hit one out of the stadium. Yeah. Like today was hot, but it wasn't that humid. Fast forward to like July 30th when it's like 95 and humid, the ball's going to stay up in the air a long time. He gets one up in the wind. Who knows? It might go out of the stadium. No, there's not who knows. It's going to go out of the stadium. 
He's going to hit the freaking ball out of Yankee Stadium. I have no doubt about it. I would put every penny that I have on that he does this for the rest of his career. Like, give me the long term on, on that bet because it's happening. There's no doubt. Matt Holiday, what did he say? It was a post-game interview, and he was talking about, you're going to see some, he said something like, st- some stupid stuff from Aaron Judge for, if you're watching this guy every day. Like, unbelievable haven't things. Are, haven't we already seen that? Yeah, but it's just going to continue to happen. And these guys in the dugout on his own team are just in awe of this dude. Um, well, right, because then he hits the one in his next at-bat, and it looks like a cheap shot, but then you look at the stat cast stats, and it only went 43 feet off the ground. It was a line shot just soaring into the right field stands. And then I love it. They give him the silent treatment in the dugout because, yeah. like, he's a freak. At the, he's a freak. He is a he's freak. Now, he's leading the triple crown categories in the American League. Home runs. You, if you told me he's going to lead in home runs, I'd be like, all right, fine. He's going to get 500 plate appearances. He's going to hit a bunch of bombs. But I don't know how. I cannot <laughs> fathom how he's hitting 330. Like, I saw him last year. And I've seen, I watch, I followed his stats in the minors. Like, it does not make sense, but he's doing it. Uh, you know, I don't even know how many times we could talk about the adjustments that he's made. My brother made a comment to me the other day. He's like, you know, every time I'm listening to a Yankee game or hearing somebody talk about the Yankees, all they do is talk about the unbelievable adjustments that Aaron Judge has made. I'm like, yeah, guilty. Because I'm pretty sure I talk about that almost every show. Because it's just mind-boggling, the fact that he could go from what we saw last year and just looking completely lost to whatever the hell we're looking at now, like this unbelievably special season that's happening so far because the dude is like the all-around guy, all-around baseball player, all-around everything. I mean, he's there's there's nothing he's bad at. It's I mean, the Triple Crown is kind of like, I, I bet a lot of stat cast people would be like, or a bunch of sabermetrics people would say that's outdated because RBIs is no longer an in-vogue stat right because it's not even like all up to your abilities because you have to have people on base in front of you but it's still like the holy grail of of stats batting average home runs rbis that's what's always listed on your on the scoreboard those are the first three things listed it's the triple crown i know it's early but like (laughs) there's only like a handful of triple crown guys like that does not happen so it's amazing yeah, and I, I see that's what I hate these freaking nerd stat guys dismissing the RBIs because of the luck factor. You got to be first of all, RBIs are are a lot, come in in uh, situations where there are runners on. There's more pressure to get these guys in, and the fact that they're actually getting other people in as well is a significant value as an offensive player in baseball. I don't know how it's dismissed. I understand there's parts of, there's luck part, but there's also a lot of luck on who the hell's pitching to you. And if they miss, and there's a million things that go into luck in baseball. So please, stat people, (laughs) stop dismissing things like this that are important and relevant statistics still. God, no, it's a huge deal. Triple crown is is like to me the it's the the greatest thing that you could do as an offensive player i was joking today on twitter that uh mlb is going to need to judge proof the ballparks like the pga tour tiger proofed golf courses oh please don't say tiger woods and aaron judge in the same sentence (laughs) (laughs) but don't you remember like tiger woods which is eating up par fives like they were par threes and everyone's like all right gotta make the yards gotta make them 100 yards longer that's what they're gonna have to do for aaron judge because it's ridiculous i mean he's I don't know. I don't know what else to say about there's, him. There's really ridiculous. It, yeah, there's nothing. There's no words. Let's, let's just get into mailbag questions. Why don't we? First one is from Zach Waters, and he says, I was talking to a friend the other day about Girardi's perception of being a great bullpen manager. 
I get all the advanced metrics saying he's great at making matchups and switching pitchers when it's the right time, but he really doesn't pass the eye test. Are you sure you didn't write this, Scott? (laughs) I know you guys have already talked about putting Clippard in over Batances against Toronto last Sunday, but bringing in Batances for a third of an inning in a 9-1 ball game is absolutely mind-blowing. Not to mention that he had to face four batters and throw 17 pitches. I don't care if he needs work. It just doesn't make any sense. So if you guys missed it, an all-timer from Joe Girardi. <laughs> that was classic. Bringing, bringing in, in a, in a, I think it wasn't actually, it wasn't an 8-1 to game. I forget. But um, he goes to Batances because he needs work and that with one out to go, just to get him into a game situation, I guess, in an eight-run ball game against the Red Sox. Classic from Joe. I see. I said this was a, a perfect call down. This was like a slight from uh, Levine, who's like, "Got to get Batances in." This is coming down from the top. Bring in Batances. I want to embarrass him. There's no reason he should be in this game. Bring him in. He hasn't. We haven't seen him in a while. It's like one of those just ridiculous. Like doesn't happen. Was Girardi? Was he high? Was he? What was going on? It made no sense to me. I, I couldn't. Could not believe that he was trotting in to go to the to the the, the mound. It was stupid. Well, it. I mean, I see I'm split on this because I'm not defending the move because it was utterly ridiculous and you just want the game to be over at that point and we got to go sit through a pitching change is a joke. But I understand the logic of getting him work because game action is different than just throwing bullpen pitches. Bullpen pitches, we've joked, does put stress on the arm, but he was clearly rusty. So say the Yankees had been in a save situation on Friday night and he hadn't pitched maybe he would have shown that rust and then they would have blown the game. I mean, so there's always there's always that sort of chess match. There were other opportunities in that series to get him in the game. There were other Absolutely. opportunities to get him in and get him work. Why uh, then? Tuesday, if, Tuesday night when the game was a one-run ball game. Yes, exactly. I was I was calling for him and Joe's not even going looking near this dude. The other thing, if if it's to get him work, okay? And that was the you were going to get going there to get him work. Why are you doing it with one out? Why, why are you not just bringing him in to start the inning then to get his work? I, I don't understand it. It makes no freaking sense. You want right, to get work, a practice with a guy with, a, with one run or with a one out? Like I don't understand the move. Hypothetical situation. The guy grounds out to second base on the first pitch. How does that achieve anything for Dylan Patances? It doesn't. It does nothing. It's stupid. <laughs> it's it's mind-boggling like like zach is saying it's mind-boggling and yeah there are advanced metrics and all again you, you i love advanced metrics they're so awesome they, they tell the whole story every time but i mean look at the look at the moves that girardi has made and look at the guys who he's had for the past couple years too look at the back end of the bullpen kind of hard to make it difficult or to make the wrong move when you got uh, chapman miller and batances back there or batances and chapman i mean you're 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 pretty good with with those two guys back there. Yeah, but but Girardi always gets Tommy Lane into the right situation. Yeah, what packing his bags and going to Scranton because that's where he is now. Exactly, DFA'd. All right, what do we have next? Next one is from Michael. He said, "What what do you think about making Chad Green the permanent seventh inning pitcher? Regardless of Clippard's stats, he has faltered in several important moments." And being a uh, fly ball pitcher in Yankee Stadium doesn't typically bode well. Green throws heat, seems more reliable, and doesn't seem like he has a role as a starter with the emergence of Seve, Monty, and Adams in, uh, eventually, he says. So, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, I think it's a, a, a solid point. Well, first of all, what did you think of Chad Green's performance today? Because he was on a 50-pitch count. So that already hamstrings the pitcher, right? He's got to be perfect when he's on a pitch count. 
Um, he got through the first two innings, but every every batter was like three two, which is fine if you're only pitching one inning. But when you're trying to extend yourself into a game, it doesn't really work out. Yeah, see, I'm not I'm not even so much like when you look at an opportunity and when you look at a situation and we're saying that he's got 50 pitches, so he's got to pitch differently because of that. Like to me, that's almost just an excuse. I mean, that was the situation. He's got to just you know effectively manage that situation and pitch as well as you can. So if you're struggling something like that, then it's still on you. I mean, I. I don't like changing a guy's role all over the place. That's I'm not I'm not in favor of that. That's not something I would do or, or I, I like seeing Girardi do. So, you know, that's not to say that I he's got to be locked into a specific inning, but I think pitchers can get into a routine and get into some kind of a mode if they know kind of their job. You know, whether it's a they could be stretched to two innings uh, on a given day or they are going to get a spot start or I don't know. So, I feel like you got to be especially with a young guy like that, you got to be a little bit more clear in what your objective is for him. Um, you know, throughout a week or, you know, throughout uh, his his time in the major leagues. And he's just been bounced around a lot. I do like him in the bullpen, though. I think um, seventh inning guy, like, again, I don't like having a designated seventh inning guy personally, but I think he does really well in those one inning, maybe, you know, one in one and two thirds, uh, possibly two inning situations. I think Chad Green is more built for that because you can, he ramps up the velocity and he's got a number of pitches to get through. Yeah, unless you have Dellen Batances, Andrew Miller, and Araldis Chapman, so you have a seventh, eighth, and inning guy. Right. Like, we're not going to label Chad Green or Tyler Clippert a seventh inning guy. Like, they're not good enough to warrant that. Right. You know what I mean? Like, well, they, I, they're just going to pitch when the situation warrants itself in the ball game. Well, it and, might be the seventh inning. It's probably usually going to be the seventh inning. But just because I'm not going to say Chad Green or Tyler Clippert's a seventh inning guy, and I got to go to him in the seventh inning. I'm going to figure out what's going on in the game, and it, maybe it's not the right time to use Chad Green, so I'm not going to use Chad Green. But that's not what Girardi does if you look at the history. That's not typically of what he does, but that's he what he's been calling for. Guys, but he has eighth and ninth inning guys, but I don't think but other than last year with the three-headed monster, he had a seventh inning guy. I mean, Clippard was the sev- Cl- Clippard's been the seventh inning guy. He's the it go-to Cl- seventh. It was Clippard and Warren. But I'm, I'm saying now, Clippard is the go-to seventh-inning guy. If there's a guy out there, and it's most likely going to be Clippard. Most likely. Sometimes it's not, but most likely it is. The more more times than not, it's Clippard. Uh, he, I don't know. Girardi likes that structure. But this is the same type of situation. I don't even want to have uh, 100% eighth-inning guy. Like, I want some flexibility with that. Just, this goes back to that game in Toronto. Like I, I want Batantis in a situation where he can take care of the middle, the heart of that lineup, when the situation is calling for that, so that the game can be almost shortened because you're getting rid of their best, the best part of their lineup in a crucial part of the game. I want that flexibility, and I want Girardi to be able to use his guys in that way. So, I don't know, I, I think I just have a different philosophy when he is, and I'm not sure he's really going to that. We thought there were hints of that, but it really does seem like he's, he's trying to uh, settle guys into a specific role. He's, uh, let's see what happens when Chapman's healthy. Right, that's true. Because he's he's pitching with a with a, a short bullpen at this point, and everyone's moved up to a you're moved up when your closer is out, so it puts everybody out of position. But I want to also go back to the fact that the Yankees had to push Tanaka, um, so they're in a situation where they can start they have to start Chad Green on a 50 pitch count. That already puts you in a corner. Right. They had to call up Domingo German uh, or is it Herman? I don't know. Herman, yeah. Herman. Uh, he made his major league debut. Good, actually, too. pretty good. Yeah, he's uh, kind of a, like a, a tiny guy, a lot of um, a lot of torque in his windup. But um, so they had to call him up, and they're in a position where Chad Green's on a fifty pitch count. This is, I mean, that's a bad position that the Yankees were in today because Tanaka had to be pushed, yeah. and it didn't matter because the Yankees are drubbing the ball 
but it could have mattered. And it looked like for a little while it was going to matter when it was a 5-3 to three ball game. It's true. And I don't want to – like I, I want them to fix Tanaka. So over over the fact that – like I'm not going to complain that they did that because I want him to get fixed. So if this is part of the solution to get him fixed in the, in the long term, then whatever. It is what it is. And like they were mashing the ball. So like I understand the situation and the predicament. It was not a, an ideal one. The whole situation is not ideal. But they're going to do what they got to do to get through it. So – uh, what I do like is I like, when you see Domingo Dramond, that guy, he's like, a, um, I, I can't think of this dude's name that, I, that I'm, um, I have in my head. Edouard uh, Ramirez. Edouard Ramirez. Yeah, similar build, right? Like He's like a lanky 6'1", 6'2 guy, and he comes in and, and just throws good stuff. This Domingo Dramond throws, what, high 90s, got fastball slider. So he's got like end of the bullpen stuff. I, I like it. He was the guy who also came over in that Martin Prado trade with yes. Nathan Avaldi. Yes, absolutely correct. So maybe so, so it's it, paying off. And he had he had surgery. <laughs> he had Tommy so he John. was out for a while. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, it's coming back. That. <laughs> and he came maybe, up. He came knows? up from Double A too. He made a jump from Double A to Triple A and then Triple A to the majors. So I mean, this is a this is a significant jump from a guy in the minor leagues that really wasn't too much on everybody's radar. If you're looking at minor league guys coming up to uh, the majors in seventeen. Our last mailbag question is from Lacey, and she says, I know it's a little early to talk playoffs, but given what we have seen of the starting rotation so far this season, who would you give the ball to for a one-game wild card? So I thought this was interesting because I wanted to I, – I think to me it's clearly between two pitchers, and I just want to see who you think those two pitchers are and who you would go to. Oh, boy. Um, I think it depends on who you're playing, one. I think it depends on where you're playing. I think there's situations that go into it. Right now, I, if you're giving it to somebody, I think uh, I think it's going to go to uh, Severino. I could see Sabathia getting the ball, though. Interesting. Okay, well, I definitely would give it to Severino as well. But I was thinking potentially Pineda would be the second guy. See, I, I still don't think anybody trusts Pineda. <laughs> well, I, I still think trust- Pineda's like completely... Uh, you know, mind-boggling that he's doing as well as he is, which I'm happy about. But I just I don't think anybody trusts him. I think they have more trust in CC uh, in a big game. Right. You'd 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 at least say, okay, I know CC can give me five innings and we'll be in the game. Yeah. Yes, Pineda might go seven and be lights out, but yeah. he also might give up seven home runs and and walk a bunch of guys and have flailing arms. Yes, exactly. I think Severino gotcha. right now is the pretty <laughs> obvious guy. Yes. Because just he's been lights out, dominant stuff right now. I mean, he's got everything working. His confidence is there. He's the guy. He's um, the number one pitcher in the making that we hoped he would be when yeah. we saw him in 2015. Absolutely. It's all coming together, knock on wood, but it's all coming together. And uh, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's very clear that he's the guy. So yes, while it is too early to be setting up your playoff rotation <laughs> at this point, talking about these, these Yankees in the playoffs is not too early because at this point, if they don't make the playoffs, I think everyone's going to be disappointed. Yeah, the expectations are definitely different now than they were uh, on, on opening day. Yeah, I'd say so. All right, guys, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at Yankees Podcast. My handle is at Andrew underscore Rotondi. Scott's is at Scott Reinen. Submit mailbag questions at bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast and call the voicemail line 646-480-0342. We've got some good voicemails coming up. And again, thanks everybody who came out to the event on Saturday. It was a hell of a time. I know Scott and I really appreciate it. Scott, anything you want to say? Just uh, to reiterate, yeah, great time on Saturday. Looking forward to hanging out with everybody again at the the next one and uh, get some sleep this week. We're on the West Coast, so it's going to be a long week.
believe it or not, George isn't at home. Please leave a message at the beep. I must be out before I pick up the phone. Where could I be? <laughs> believe it or not, I'm not home. I mean, at this point, Aaron Judge can sleep with my wife. Let's go, Jackie! Are you kidding me? Aaron Judge, 495 feet? What a legend, man. What a legend. MVP. I'm so sick and tired of every fifth start getting excited for Tanaka's name to come around. And him just fucking blowing the game up. It's like he doesn't even care. He's throwing balls over the middle of the strike zone for players to just knock out of the park. And I'm sick of it. He's not worth the money. He's gonna stay into that contract. We gotta trade him, right? We gotta do something. He's a piece of work and... Ah, I finally picked that out to knock can help me. Let him pitch full speed from the mound to Aaron Judge in the home run derby. It's a win-win. Judge will win and he'll hit a lot of home runs. What's up guys? Justin from South Ozone Bluff. Enough of Chase Headley. It's time to start playing Pesty, Ronald Torres, the guy led the, the Yankees in RBIs for most of April, along with Judge and Castro. He's a good fielder, too. He's fast. He showed he can get the job done, filling in for Didi in April. It's time to start playing him more. I've had enough of Chase Headley. I've had enough of his errors. Enough. Stop playing Torres, Mark. Hey, guys. Greg's from New York. Watching the Red Sox Yanks right now. Just watched Gary Sanchez bang out a two-run homer. Sorry, that's actually a three-run homer. On top of that, I think the next inning or two innings after, watch Sammy Ramirez bang into a double play. I don't think it gets much better than that. Look, I don't know if I'm the only one who feels this way, but when I hear the Cars for Kids jingle, I turn my fucking radio off, I wait 30 seconds, and then I listen to W Fan. Every time I hear that stupid song, I want to drive off the road. I get a twitch. There's nothing good about cars for kids. Stop. The, the not-for-profit, if it is, is a great thing. Yeah, this is Greg from Florida. I'm listening to the game right now, and they say that Tyler Austin is not a fit because Chris Carter's up there. I almost crashed my car. I mean, what, what does Chris Carter have that we're not seeing? Seriously. You gotta be kidding me. Three-run Jack. Gary Sanchez, he is back. He is on fire. He's smoking the Orioles. What's up, guys? I uh, just want to say I'm about to head to the airport and fly up to New York for the weekend. I'm super pumped for the game on Saturday. Um, if Chris Carter's badass somehow hits a home run and I somehow catch it, I swear to God, I'll throw it back on the field. I cannot stand this guy. Andrew from Elf Kitchen. Freaking great win tonight. June 10th event tomorrow, so fucking hype. Although, honestly, I don't really understand uh, all the tape for Clifford. I mean, I get it, you know, there's the whole eye test. Maybe this stuff doesn't look, you know, 188 ERA good. But here's the thing about Clifford, you know, as a fastball changeup guy, I feel like it's easier to see where his pitch is going to be but it's hard at a time, and, uh, you know, that's why he's been effective throughout pretty much all of his career. Uh, 
you know, as a reliever, I never had an ERA before, only one year, uh, ERA above three and a half. Hey, Bronx Pinstripers, I really like the British voicemail lady, she's sexy. Anyway, for all the older listeners of this podcast, uh, if you've ever seen the Stallone classic from 1987 called Over the Top, where he's a truck-driving arm wrestler, the, uh, the villain in that movie, his catchphrase is also applied to the Yankees with David Price. I own you! Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.